Hello and welcome to Horror Court Trash Over, the show that discusses all the masterpieces and trash to pieces of genre cinema. My name's Chris. I'm Gary. And for the month of October, Halloween month, we are doing The Blob for Original versus Remake. We are, we are. We, the Halloween classics uh, episodes have come to an end. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's October, so we've got a very Halloween special original versus remake. I mean, to be honest, both of these are Halloween classics in their own rights. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. That's why I chose them. You know, they're cheesy B movie horror films with a bit of sci fi in there as well. Um, I wouldn't say gateway horror. I know we keep throwing the that original, term now. I, I'd you say. Would think, yeah. Um, it's not for everyone. I don't think the original is. No. Um, but yeah, definitely I think these are cheesy enough and silly enough, really, uh, either through design or, or not, <laughs> uh, for a, a perfect Halloween film watching. Yeah. So, first of all, let's get to the poll results. Uh, the original got a grand total of 22% of the vote. Whereas the remake won with a massive 78%. And do you know what? The polls got it right. Yeah, I agree. I, I do agree. It's one of the cases, and I'll go further into it, but I'll let you know where I stand straight away, where the original was a film that needed a remake. Yeah. It needed one. And it, 1988 was about the right time to remake the film yeah there's something about the 80s and fantastic monster films that are remaking films from the 50s uh that weren't as great as they could have been and yeah. improving on them and the other one obviously being the thing um uh, and, i mean the fly the fly i think the fly if we're comparing it to the thing from another world and the blow i think the fly original is better than both of those mm. um but yeah, no, The Fly. The Fly is better than the original. Um, I mean, you can take it back to the 70s and say... I mean, I haven't seen the original invasion of the Body Snatchers, but I'm going to take a guess that's probably the same sort of situation. Um, but yeah, no, there are certain remakes that need to happen, and this was definitely one of them. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get into it a little more. Yes. Um, for starting with The Blob, 1958, a film that was originally going to be called The Glob. Uh, but it was changed when it was discovered that cartoonist Walt Kelly had already used that title. Uh, according to producer Jack H. Harris, the film was titled The Molten Meteor uh, when it was in synopsis form. So thank God they went with The Blob. Yeah, The, the Glob. The Glob sounds like, like spitting. Yeah, apparently um, one of the producers also thought comedians would bring in a lot of money for the film by taking the piss out of the title. Oh, okay. Um, but, yeah, but no, it went with the blob, thankfully. Written and directed by Irvin S. Yeworth Jr., uh, the director of The Flaming Teenage, The Evil Force, Dinosaurs, and Way Out. Uh, Co-directed by an uncredited Russell S. Dalton Jr., who made The Hostage, Fever Heat, Happiness Is, Sammy, Ride the Wind, Night Song, Whitcomb's War, uh, Brother Enemy, Facing the Mirror, and The Healing. Um, yeah, I have never heard of no. any of those films well, you just mentioned. I'll, are you familiar with Irvin S. Yeatworth Jr.? Uh, no. Well, uh, I can tell you a little more about him. A 
aside from this film, he only worked on Christian films. Okay. He felt there was an uplifting message for teenagers in the blob. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> According to producer Jack H. Harris, the director initially met Steve McQueen uh, when the actor's wife, Neil Adams, uh, was appearing in a short religious film Ye Worth was making. Oh, lovely. <laughs> yeah, Steve McQueen's in this. St- uh, Steve McQueen is definitely in this. Uh, according to Harris, Yeworth found McQueen to be a dirty jerk and an opinionated pain in the ass, oh. amongst many other things, and reportedly kicked him off the set after Adams' part was completed. <laughs> Hopefully, uh, of hopeful of signing Anthony Fancio- Fanciosa for the lead in The Blob, Harris attended a performance of A Hatful of Rain in which uh, the actor was appearing, but when he saw understudy McQueen filling in for an alien uh, ben Gazara, the producer decided to sign McQueen to a free picture deal. McQueen proved so difficult uh, that rather than find an entirely new director and crew to work with him, Harris decided to shoot the two subsequent films, The Evil Force and Dinosaurs, with other actors, a decision he ultimately regretted. Uh, because somehow, Steve McQueen became uh, an icon <laughs> uh, after this. Yeah, this isn't the best sort of um showcase for his talents no no um he is really 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 um wrongly miscast miscast <laughs> that is the word i was looking for i mean i meant all those reallys but i'm definitely wrong <laughs> wrong is definitely right um yeah um yeah he he sticks out like a sore thumb and i will continuously go on about it through this podcast yeah yeah um i mean difficult to work with this his first major role so i mean he did go on to be a massive star but come on you're, you're in a film called the blob but then again i mean the director doesn't sound like he would have been the most fun to work with so it's it's interesting well this is one of those films where my enjoyment came from something that wasn't intentional yeah or something that was intentional but that's not the reason i enjoyed it so much so i'll explain myself because that was a little confusing the blob 1958 takes itself very seriously yeah Yeah. is a serious horror slash sci-fi film Mm -hmm. the problem with that is that it's so fucking ridiculous (laughs) The fact that it takes itself so seriously is hilarious. Yeah. And it's the reason I enjoyed the film so much is because it took itself very seriously, which made it unintentionally camp, mm-hmm. um, ridiculous, and a hell of a good time. Yeah. Yeah. Written by Theodore Simonson, who wrote uh, The Evil Force and an episode of Genera Electric Theatre. And Kay Lineker, who did episodes of Lux Video Theatre, United States Steel Hour, Riverboat, and Bronco. Uh, also, she is also an actress. Uh, yes, because this is written by a woman. Yes. Uh, actress who has appeared in Cinderella Swings It, Two Weeks to Live, Bring on the Girls, Here Come the Waves, Laura, It Happened Tomorrow, Men on Her Mind, Lady in the Dark, Wintertime, and lots more. Um, based on an idea by Irvin H. Milgate, who did nothing. Did nothing. nothing that that was it. Just the, just the blob. Just an idea for the blob. Okay. Well. But yeah, I mean, we love women making horror. 
in in the fifties especially. I mean, it wasn't exactly the most popular time for women making horror, was it? No, no, not at all. No. And for one that's as notorious as this, you know, it's everyone knows the blob. Anyone who's a horror fan knows the blob. You know, it's it's great. Yeah, I mean, this is on the Criterion collection. Yeah, yeah. And it it's not. I don't think it's on the Criterion collection because it's a five star masterpiece. No. But it's a kind of cultural touchstone. It is. Really, everyone knows the blob. Everyone knows what the blob involves. Is it the most original story on the planet? No, not really. No. I mean, similar things have been done before. Giant monsters destroying the city, mostly in Japan, let's be fair. Mm -hmm. um, but it's... I, don't, I, I suppose it's in the cultural zeitgeist. Yeah. You know, really. I mean, plenty of people will know The Blob. Probably never watched it, let's be fair. Mm. But they know of it. Well, it was made on a budget of $110,000, and it made $4 million at the box office. Yeah. Absolute yeah. runaway hit. Yeah, yeah. And it, it's, it was that time, wasn't it? The, the B-movies, you know, I suppose were at the tail end of William Castle's career to a certain degree. Yeah. But, you know, B-movies fucking sold. Yeah. They did, you know? And... Especially one with such a ridiculous poster mm -hmm. as The Blob. A ridiculous premise. Um, you know, Steve McQueen. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, also in the era of the teen exploitation films as well. Uh, yeah. That yeah. existed thanks to James Dean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I would definitely throw this into that category. It's, it's, it's definitely, I mean... I mean, how far removed was this from Rebel Without a Course? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, um, just a few years. Yeah, because I mean, Steve McQueen's character is absolutely. I didn't that think type. He, he, yeah, it's a difficult one because they all fit sort of teenage stereotypes, don't they? Um, we'll get into it when we get yeah. into the. Uh, well, it is time for our first feature presentation. Yes. There's no stopping the blob as it spreads from town to town. It's indestructible. It's indescribable. Nothing can stop it. This town is in danger. How can it be stopped? Mob hysteria sweeps one city. Before long, the nation, and then the world could fall before the blood-curdling threat of the Bob. Starring Steve McQueen and a cast of exciting young people. So, the Bob... Also, sorry, Glob. sorry to interrupt, but um, the TV spot you just heard, can we just acknowledge the fact that they actually said the words starring Steve McQueen and other exciting young actors? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, let's, let's, let's Alexandra Burke this and let's deal with the elephant in the room. The elephant in the room, and I will keep bringing this up, like I've said, I will keep bringing this up. Is the fact that Steve McQueen, despite this being his first film role, a lead starring film role, and him playing a teenager, mm -hmm. was 28 years old. <laughs> 28. He looks doublet. With all <laughs> due respect to Mr. McQueen, he looked every year 
of the 28th. And then some. And then some. <laughs> he looks 40. He looks 40. <laughs> he really does. He looks like Daniel Craig now. But that's... Yeah, 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 but yeah. Do you think he's got that Daniel Craig look about him? He, like, he looks just he's like got him. that Daniel Craig look. You know, which isn't... You know, we're not saying he's horrendous. Very handsome man. But not a teenager. No. Not even close. Did you forget his name at any point in the film? Uh, no, I didn't. I certainly did That's not. That's because the name Steep is said a record number of... I, I don't know. Well, I, I'll say a record. I assume for this for this time for the 50s... For the name Steve itself, the name Steve it itself, may be a record. This could be a record. It could be a record. 50 fucking times during the film. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and, and as well, before you start, the popular title song is where we start the film, of course. Um... It was credited to the five blobs, but in fact, there was only one blob, studio singer Bernie Knee, whose vocals were recorded five times. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing theme song. It's a banger. It is. It's, yeah, really good. It's an absolute bop. Um, written by Burt Bacharach, famous, really yeah. famous uh, music composer, and Mac David. Um, yeah, it's maybe the best thing about the film if we're talk- it's the best well. <laughs> thing that was deliberate about yeah. the film if we were meant to enjoy the song and we enjoyed the song do you notice how it kind of ironically it kind of sounds like the snatch game theme song oh does it so i, I really hope rupaul took that from the blob theme song i'm assuming the snatch game theme is taken from the match game then the match game because here in here in the uk we had blankety blank so it's something that doesn't really translate um, but I assume that was taken from the match game mm-hmm. with Paul Lind. Yeah. Oh no, on. Paul Lind was Hollywood Squares, wasn't he? Yeah. Okay. So That's what would have made this film better if Paul Lind Paul was in Lind. that lead role, Steve. Oh, amazing. <laughs> it would have looked the same age. Wow, well. there's a blob going around town. <laughs> so, in a small Pennsylvania town in July 1957, t- <laughs> teenager <laughs> Steve Andrews, played by Steve McQueen, and his girlfriend, Jane Martin, played by Anita Corsart, who was 25 herself, but looked, looked, she looked like a Slightly, she looks in her 30s at least. Um, they're having a good old snog at Lover's Lane, because this is a teen movie in the 50s, and they see a meteorite crash beyond the next hill. Um, Jane thinks Steve is uh, after just one thing. She's not best pleased. He also keeps calling her Janie girl, which she does. does not like. <laughs> so I'm I'm on Jane's side, you know. Well, she, for now. You, well, you brought me to look. Um, she goes look. Yeah. Um, you brought me to Lovers Lane. You keep calling me Janie girl. I ain't that kind of girl. No. And she keeps her cardigan buttoned up. She'd rather be called Jane McDonald. Well, that doesn't <laughs> translate either. Um, Steve goes looking for this meteorite that's crashed. But Barney, an old man living nearby, finds it first. When he pokes the meteorite with a stick, it breaks open and a small jelly-like globule blob inside attaches itself to his hand. In pain and unable to scrape or shake it loose, Barney runs onto the road where he is nearly struck by Steve's car. Now, if you're thinking this is very familiar, I forgot how much... um, this month's Halloween classic, Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Yeah. I forgot how much it took, particularly from the beginning of this film. This honestly made me appreciate Killer Clowns from Outer Space so much more. Um, yeah. 
with the satire elements and what it's trying to do, like, yeah, it, it's basically a full-on parody of this film. Yeah, it is. It is. I draw a fun fact about the blob itself. Oh, go on then. Uh, the actual blob, a mixture of red dye and silicone, has never dried out and is still kept in the original five-gallon pail in which it was shipped to the production company in 1958. It was put on display over the years as part of the annual Blob Fest. Yeah. Had over a three-day period each summer in Phoenixville, PA, which provided a number of the shooting locals for the film. Uh, in addition to displaying the blob and miniatures used in the shooting, the event features a reenactment of the famous scene in which panicked theatergoers rush to the exit, um, rush to exit the town still functioning colonial theatre, uh, as well as several showings of the film. Shall we go to Blobfest? Um, I would love to go to Blobfest. Um, the fact that it has what? How many years are we now removed? Well, 1954 so. years. And it hasn't dried out. Yeah. That's terrible for the environment, isn't it? <laughs> Fucking hell. Anyway, we should definitely go, though. I'm not sure I would reenact the scene. <laughs> uh, Steve and Jane take Barney to Dr. Hallen, who anesthetizes the man and sends Steve and Jane back to locate the impact site and gather some information. Um, Dr. Hallen keeps calling the old man old timer he does <laughs> and i just think was that, that's not the most comforting when he's in pain and what looks like barbecue sauce is all of his arm and de it, it, it definitely looked like barbecue <laughs> sauce at this point it did my favorite part of this scene was when uh, well just before this scene when they're in the car and uh, steve mcqueen's like boy i sure hope the doctor's in and then it immediately cuts to the doctor, like, Mrs. Porter, yes, Dr. Hallen here, I'm leaving now. Yeah. <laughs> so, editing like that, how can you expect anyone to take this fucking film seriously? It's true. Um, Steve upsets a trio of seemingly... <laughs> uh, in a bizarre series in of events. In a bizarre series of events. Steve upsets a trio of seemingly delinquent teens. <laughs> well, they are dressed kind of square. So, I think the idea of this is coming from a kind of conservative uh -huh. um buttoned up position these are probably what he believed were delinquent teens just they don't look like <laughs> james dean do they no it's not marlon brando in the quite. wild one um the trio of delinquent teens are led by tony grisette and uh he upsets steve upsets them when he speeds by them on the way to the doctor's um, he's goaded into a drag race with them, yeah. leading to a very tedious comic relief moment with Lieutenant Dave Barton. It is as camp as it sounds. I mean, it starts with one of them saying, now you're talking, King. Yeah. <laughs> what I don't get is that he upset them by driving past quickly. Yeah, no, I don't understand the scene at all. And then by the end, they're bosom buddies. Yeah, they... They switch from bullies to good guys in matter of seconds, yeah. like with no explanation as to how. I mean, if you know this filmmaker's a Christian guy and this is meant to be an empowering film for good teenagers, then maybe the fact that the policeman caught them and they had a talking and everything is that what converted them into being lesson. good guys? Like, it's <laughs> fucking weird. I suppose the film then becomes too concerned with communism to deal with teenage delinquency. Oh, yeah. 
I suppose it's like, well, we're gonna, we will have, we need to solve the teenage delinquency early because obviously the big red scare mm. is the main problem in this film. But, but the policeman isn't even that horrified because he's kind of like, oh, what you like, go on. There's a definite get out difference <laughs> between the two police officers. Yeah. One of them was like, oh, you, you kids. One of them was directly parodied in Killer Clowns from Space. Directly. Um, Helen decides he must amputate um, the man's arm, sending it. <laughs> And is since it is being phagocytized. What the fuck did you just call me? I got this off the internet. This word. I do. I do apologize. I, do, I have no idea what it means. Actually, probably shouldn't have kept it in. Very unprofessional. But anyway, um, I'm assuming it just means it's been taken infected. over, infected. Um, before he can, the blob completely absorbs Barney. Then Helen's nurse Kate, and finally the doctor himself. Growing redder and larger with each victim. Excuse me. <laughs> Growing redder and larger with each victim. Mm. So we recently watched uh, Queer for Fear and it discussed how a lot of monster films in the 50s and the 40s and the 60s, uh, how they had allegories for homosexuals. So do we think the blob falls into that category? No. No? No. You don't think that's just making people gay? No, <laughs> it's not. It, it, it's not a queer thing. It's definitely, in my humble opinion, definitely about communism. Okay, I mean, there's a pretty gay scene coming up soon involving mechanics. Like a lot of these teen films. Oh, yeah, the way they talk, <laughs> though. Yeah, that's true. And, and let's face it, the bullies, they become a bit gay. Um, when they turn into good guys, because they're always like, oh, Steve, oh, Steve, Steve, oh, I'll do this for you, Steve, oh, Steve, 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 Steve. They must say at least 30 of the 50 Steves. Yeah, probably. <laughs> that is true. Um, Nurse Kate. Yeah. What would you say was her acting style? Um, I think she was a smidge overacting. Uh, potentially. <laughs> so let's, I mean, let's make one thing clear right now. There's not a single good performance in this film. No, there isn't. There isn't. <laughs> but she's she's a standard. I thought she was quite the damsel in distress. I'd have liked to see more of her. Um, Steve and Jane return in time for Steve to witness the Doctor trying to escape yes. through the window with the blob covering him. <laughs> they go to the police station and return with Lieutenant Barton and Sergeant Jim Burt, but they find no sign of the blob or its victims. The sceptical Bert dismisses Steve's story as a prank. <laughs> you teenagers. Steve and Jane are taken home by their parents, but they later sneak out. So, during this time with <laughs> Lieutenant Dave and Sergeant Jim Burt, we get quite the read, don't we? We do. So, um... Very ahead of its time. Yeah, Lieutenant Dave says, uh... You know, this is about a gun. It says, this has been fired, but I haven't seen any shot marks around any place. Jim Burt says to Steve, let me tell you what happened, kid. You and whoever else you're in with this with... Ugh. You and whoever else you're in this with decided you'd pull one over on the police department. So you bust in here when the doc's not around, smash the place up. Lieutenant Dave, defending them, says, hold on, Jim. The kids couldn't have done this. <laughs> You saw for yourself. The window was locked from the inside and so was the door. To which Jim replies, they rigged it with a piece of string to lock from the outside to make us look silly. Jane, <laughs> in the best thing she does in the film, says, I think you're doing a good job of that all by yourself, Sergeant. <laughs> Giving that garcelle. She got in a time machine. Energy. She watched Real Housewives of Beverly Hills season 12. 
When Garcelle tells Erica Jane she can make herself look bad all on her own, I don't need. She to... went back to 1958 and she's like, "I'm using this right now." I don't. I don't need to make you look bad. She can do that all on her own. Um. Yeah. It's definitely so, the best thing she does. Definitely time. the best thing she does. Um, Mrs. Poor, the cleaner, turned up too. Oh, no, she's my favourite character, she's actually. She's horrified at the mess. <laughs> um, she asks if she can just dust around the fingerprints. <laughs> we stand a hard-working queen who will not let anything get in the way of her job. So there's a smidge of comedy there. A, a little I bit. don't know if it is. I was, <laughs> and what? No one's that dumb. <laughs> Um, do you know what's incredibly awkward during these scenes? When Steve McQueen keeps calling a man who looks only five years older than him, (laughs) Dad. (laughs) So his dad comes to pick him up. His dad literally looks about five years older than him. Oh, Dad. He keeps calling him Dad. Dad. His dad takes him home to his little bedroom, (laughs) a little single bed, which he sneaks out of later. And I'm just sat there like, this is a grown ass man. He should have his own house. This is a grown ass man. This is a forty year old man. Why is he calling it fucking man weird? During all of this, the blob absorbs a potentially homosexual mechanic at a repair shop. Yeah, I have. This uh, is some of your favorite. Dialogue. The exact dialogue exchange here. <laughs> Strap yourself in. Um, so he's on the floor under a car, and uh, is, the other one's just wandering around. He's like, I'm going on a hunting trip. And the other guy's like, oh, I didn't know you were a hunter. He's like, neither did I. We've got a little cabin in the South Woods. The boys and me. And I'm telling you, Marty boy, <laughs> we're going up there this weekend. And I'm going to get so roaring, stinking, no good, drunk, I won't be able to see. Hey, why don't you come with us? It'll do you some good. More like, we'll do you some good. Yeah. And he's like, oh, I don't think Martha would figure it that way. <laughs> and he's like... Do you have to tell your old woman everything? Tell her you got to see a sick friend. Tell her your uncle died. (laughs) That's fucking sick, by the way. (laughs) Tell her you're going away so you can love her more when you get back. Uh, Whoa, hang on a minute. So you can pick up some (laughs) tricks whilst you're away. I mean, come on. (laughs) Even in 1958. I enjoyed your performance, but I I was kind of hoping you would have done a Paul Lind impression for all that. Well, I mean, I thought I'd go with Saucy and Borderline Saucy. Southern. Um, Borderline Southern. If yeah, British Southern. I was um, going to say Southern what? But yeah, these two. He definitely wants to get him up to the woods. Um, but he's punished by the Blob him for being the, the, this is yeah for being yeah, one of us. Yeah, apparently, the Blob is a homophobe. Um, He's probably took the blob has took the address of the cabin and he's gonna go up there and kill the rest of the gays as well. Also, <laughs> you know when you said that uh, Steve McQueen's dad came in? Yeah. Well James' father also comes in and uh, he's got an important role in this film. Oh. Uh, we know this because he says, After all, I am principal at the high school. Oh yes, <laughs> yes, of course. Oh, that's why Janie Girl's such a good girl. Uh, we then introduced to Jane's fucking moron brother Danny. This whole family, Jane's family, are a fucking nightmare. Like, he introduces the scene by saying, Hey, where are you going? And he talks like a fucking idiot. I swear. He did. I did kind of ignore Danny until I had to <laughs> mention <laughs> this him. This entire conversation is awful. It's kind of, yeah, it is kind of annoying. Um, during a midnight screening of Daughter of Horror, 
at the um, not aged very well named Colonial yeah. Theatre. Still called Colonial Theatre now. Yeah, can we... Yeah. Steve recruits Tony and his friends to warn people about the blob. Now, Daughter of Horror, interestingly, is a recut version with narration of the 1955 film Dementia. Yeah. Which is known as a rather experimental film that famously has no dialogue. Yeah. So it was recut with a narration because people can't deal with no dialogue at all in the film. Um, weird choice for a Very film. weird choice for a film. And also they make it out to be a comedy. Yeah. Almost. Like people are laughing at the screen, which I don't think is meant to be a comedy. No. I mean, we own it. We haven't seen it. I mean, I'm really intrigued now. Yeah, I, I don't no, think it's, it's supposed to be no. a comedy. No, it's... Um, but yeah. Um, when Steve and Janie Girl arrive at the cinema, um, Tony says, you've missed most of the movie. You won't get your money's worth. None of us will. <laughs> to which his uh, beard says, uh, none of us will if you don't stop talking. <laughs> Giving it Gary Cruz energy. Well, it is. <laughs> I, I, yeah. Telling the talkers don't, off. Don't talk in the cinema. Don't talk in the cinema. Don't talk at gigs either. No. Um, when Steve notices that his father's grocery store is unlocked, he and Jane go inside to investigate. The janitor is nowhere to be seen. The couple is quickly cornered by the blob and they seek refuge in the walk-in freezer. The blob oozes in under the door quickly retreats mm, mm. intriguing um jane despite being up for anything earlier <laughs> decides to be a colossal wimp during yeah. this scene it really pissed me off because she... she was feisty she was a girl who knew what she wanted when steve said you know there's the potential we could get hurt or killed are you with me on this she said yes let's go and then suddenly she sees the blob and she's Veronica fucking Cartwright. Yeah. Alien. There, there's a great camp scene in this where she falls into a mountain of soup cans uh, and drops the dog that she they've randomly called... adopted from the old man who died. Yeah, they stole the old man's dog without proper papers. And uh, <laughs> she is holding it when she falls flat on her ass. Drops, drops the poor dog. Drops the poor dog. Um, Steve and Jane, they gather their friends and set off the town's fire and air raid alarms. The responding townspeople and police still refuse to believe them, though. Yeah. Sergeant Burt thinks that that, uh, that they... Oh, excuse me. Let me try that again. Sergeant Burt thinks that uh, they have it in for him due to his war record. His war record? What does that even mean? And they just have jealousy. <laughs> See, this, this, is, this is the communism. This is, yeah. this is where I'm a little confused. Because... The, the idea is that people aren't believing the teens when they talk when they're talking about what I perceive to be the communist threat, which mm -hmm. is the blob. So why is Sergeant Burt, who has a war record, <laughs> why is he thinking that they're trying to prank him? Yeah, I I I, I, I don't know. It's I'm sure there's some in with McCarthy in there or whatever yeah um but yeah I mean I think it's 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 interesting this idea 
And the idea is that I suppose the big thing was that you don't know if your next door is a next door neighbor is a communist. Yeah. You know, be on the lookout for communists. Um, when people tell you that there's a communist, believe them. And then, you know, the whole blacklisting of mm -hmm. um, directors and such. I'm sure it's all in keeping with that. A little, maybe a bit, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, not very smooth. Rough? Rough. <laughs> a bit lumpy. <laughs> no, clunky is clunky. the word I'm looking for. A little... Maybe a little clunky, yeah. um, but it's also really part that I think where it takes itself very seriously. Yeah. Um, the blob enters the colonial theatre and envelops the projection projectionist, then oozes into the auditorium. Steve is finally vindicated when screaming people flee the theatre in panic. <laughs> Thank now God the people in danger. Oh. Now they believe him. And it's kind of, maybe, was this before or after Invasion of the Body Snatchers? Oh, I'm not sure, actually. I think sci-fi horror, there's mm. always that scene of a big crowd of people running. Especially in monster movies. From, especially in monster movies. That, that crowd. Um, Steve, Jane and her kid brother Danny are trapped in a diner, along with the owner and a waitress, for some reason. <laughs> and all he does is speak Italian and get annoyed. <laughs> Uh, as the blob, now enormous from the people it has consumed, engulfs the diner. So, again, this idea that the more the blob consumes, slash more people yeah. become communists, the bigger and bigger it is, and the bigger threat it is. Dave taps into the diner's telephone with his police radio and warns those in the diner to shelter in the cellar before the police bring down a live power line onto the blob. Fortunately, the plan to electrocute the blob causes a fire. <laughs> causes the diner to set on fire. And we get a very emotional scene with some rather stiff acting <laughs> when uh, people believe that everyone in the diner is now dead. It's, re it's really um, cheesy, isn't it? Like... It is. When the diner owner uses a carbon dioxide extinguisher on the approaching fire inside, Steve notices that the blob recoils. Steve remembers it also retreated from the freezer and realises it cannot tolerate cold temperatures. Shouting in hopes of being picked up on the open phone line, Steve tells Dave about the blob's vulnerability to cold. The firemen have a limited supply of CO2 fire extinguishers that Jane's father, the high school principal, Henry Martin, leads Steve's friends to break into the school to retrieve its extinguishers. When they return, a brigade, a, a brigade, a big gay, a big gay of fire extinguisher armed students, firemen, and police drive the blob away from the diner, freeing the five trapped there. One issue I really have with this film, particularly the end. Is that all these people getting together, getting the extinguishers, saving the day, are all men. Yeah. So, Janie Girl, who I thought was going to be a nice, strong female lead, mm -hmm. becomes a blubbering wreck. Yeah. And the day is saved by just men. There's no women involved in any of it. There is a woman that deserves a mention. 
Um, and talking about Dino scene reminded me, actually, I completely forgot to mention it. Rewinding back a bit. Mm. Um, Jane's mother. Mm. There's not a single the good performance in, the in this film, but she by far provides the most wooden, stiff performance I've ever fucking seen in my life. And there's a scene where <laughs> fucking Daddy is sleeping downstairs for some reason. And she's like, oh, Danny, why are you sleeping downstairs? He's like, to guard you from something. And uh, <laughs> the father, oh my God, every fucking episode. It's is, been happening recently. We, we live we live in a terrible place. Um, <laughs> uh, Danny and Jane's father <laughs> turns to the kid and is like, has everyone in this full town gone crazy? <laughs> because yeah, yeah. he said he's guarding them from something but yeah Jane's mother fuck me worst actress in the film it, she is she is she's the worst of a bad bunch yeah uh, Dave requests authorities sent an air force heavy lift <laughs> cargo aircraft to transport the frozen blob to the Arctic Dave realises that the cold will stop the blob but not kill it <laughs> So as long as the Arctic stays cold, <laughs> they're all safe. In a really dramatic monologue Very from Steve dramatic. McQueen. Really thinks he's doing something. Parachutes bearing the blob on a pallet lower it Parachutes bearing the blob on a pallet lower it onto an Arctic ice field with the superimposed words the end morphing into a question mark, suggesting that the blob will return. Correct me if I'm wrong. That is the exact ending of Godzilla. <laughs> I suppose. Dropping the monster into ice somewhere and hoping that it, it never comes back. I'm it's pretty certain. one of the Godzilla films. I, I, I'm going to be really unprofessional right now and have a look at Godzilla 1954 on Wikipedia. If you've not seen it, it's a masterpiece. Please watch it. Um, I'm, I'm going to spoil the ending uh, for you. Uh but yeah, so yeah, I I'm pretty certain that's how it ends. Wikipedia's not very clear, but I, I'm sure that's how it ends. What definitely one of the uh, Godzilla films yeah. ends with him being encased in. Because I remember ice. him in the second Godzilla coming out of the ice. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, I thought initially that the ending and steve's monologue about as long as the arctic stays cold <laughs> was maybe about climate change yeah but then i thought mm, well i mean it's coming across as quite a conservative film mm. so do you think they were talking about climate change or were they talking about the ever-present either cold or not cold communist party well the director was christian not sure about the writers mm. so maybe the writers were trying to put a bit of social commentary yeah i'm not sure in 1958 how relevant the idea of climate change was mm. i'm not sure where the science was yeah but let's interpret it that way because yeah too yeah fair enough uh yeah the blob um it is a fun film it, it is very entertaining uh has plenty of rewatch value but not entirely for the right reasons no but at the same time 
it's not bad enough to be a straight up trash the piece. It's really difficult because it's actually really well made. Yeah, yeah. For the time, actually, the effects are quite good. I mean, you don't see a lot of the blob. No. You've seen a bit more of the blob. Um, but when you do, it looks fine, you know, for 1958. It's an enjoyable film. It's not too long. Mm-hmm. Thank God. Um, it gets gets it done. Yeah. What it needs to get done. And again, you know, it's a Halloween classic because it's just one of those throw on films. Yeah. You don't really have to think too much about, you know, you, you don't have to think about the communist stuff. No. But <laughs> the Red Scare and all that bit, you know, because it's just a, a monster movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Big fat blob monster movie. Yes. Uh, and we have another big fat blob monster movie to discuss next. The Blob from 1988, written and directed by Chuck Russell, who made A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3, Dream Warriors, The Mask, The Scorpion King, Bless the Child, Eraser, Jungly, I Am Rafe, and an episode of Fringe. Um, yeah. Yeah. Directed the best non-Wes Craven Nightmare on Elm Street film. He did, he did. Uh, according to uh, Giles Bollinger's 2003 book, John Carpenter, The Prince of Darkness, John Carpenter mentions that producer Jack H. Harris discussed directing a remake of The Blob with him. I mean, That would make sense. But let's face it, it probably wouldn't have looked too different to how this looks already. No. No. Um, yeah, it's given John Carpenter energy. It is. It is, it is actually. Yeah. Co-written by Frank Darabont, who also wrote Dream Warriors, The Fly 2, Two-Fisted Tales, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. What tales? Two-Fisted. The Mist, Godzilla 2014, Created the Walking Dead, uh, and lots more, including The Green Mile and The Shawshank Redemption. Wow. The same writer of this film made The Shawshank Redemption. Wow. Um, based on screenplay by, of course, Theodore Simonson and Kay Lineker, and a story by Irvin H. Milgate. Budget, a little different. Mm-hmm. $19 million. Wow. $9 million of which went towards visual effects, and you can tell. You definitely can tell. Box office is just as much of a gasp as the original, but for the opposite reason. $8.2 million. Whoa. Oh, good girls. It's weird because I also compared this to the thing earlier at the start of the episode. Very much in its reception, you know, mm. this wasn't a hit. No, this, this wasn't a hit. But now it's widely known as one of the best horror remakes, like the thing. Mm. You know, it's got a massive cult following. So, um, introducing a new section into this, uh, a one-off section you'll only get on this episode called "Did David Lynch Love the Blob, nineteen eighty-eight." Are you asking me? That's the name of the section. Oh. Um, so there are some odd parallels in this to Twin Peaks, two years before Twin Peaks was a thing. Oh, okay. Brian is similar to James Hurley. There's a character called Briggs. Jack Nance and Candy Clark have both been in Twin Peaks. Fern is similar to Norma Jennings. And it's in a small town where something feels a little off. So now I'm asking you... Did David Lynch love The Blob 1988? No. I mean, there's no right or wrong answer. I mean, it doesn't sound like anyone loved The Blob in 1988. <laughs> doesn't sound like anyone went Is to see David it. Lynch anyone, though? <laughs> Is David Lynch like Did everyone Did David else? Lynch go to see The Blob He's, the, he's probably the only person who appreciated like, it. 
he was part of that 8.5 million or however much it was. It's just so ahead, isn't it? So ahead of his time. It, it is, it is. But the, it is so weird because there are so many little things in it that are like, okay, I swear that's that's Twin Peaks. Yeah, it's something that the original, the remake and Twin Peaks all have. And it's something I love in films. It's that weirdo Americana. Mm. And I don't know if it's because... Obviously, we're British, so we, we, we've we not lived through it. But shit like diners. Yeah. You know, stuff like, um, you know, high schools and cheerleaders and shit like mm-hmm. that. I mean, we've, we've only seen that in the movies. So yeah. there's a weird nostalgia towards that. And it's something that all three do, you know, particularly... Mm-hmm. Uh, diners. Yeah. Some emphasis on diners. Um, I don't know why and how inherently American they are. Yeah. Um, which I, I love. I love, you know, all, you know, all that American B-movie, mm-hmm. Americana shit. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, there's plenty of that to discuss. It's time for our second feature presentation. If it had a mind, you could reason with it. If it had a face, you could look it in the eye. If it had a body, you could shoot it. Everything you know about terror is about to go down the drain. The blob, Terror Has No Shape, rated R. Now playing at a theater near you. The film starts at a school football game in Auberville, California where one of Paul's friends informs him that Meg fancies him and suggests that he asks her out. He says, Paul, look at her. Look at her, man. She really wants your body. But she already got a boyfriend. She has. That we don't see. We don't see. Uh, Brian enters the film by littering and attempting a motorbike trick for a homeless man. Uh, He fails and falls off his bike. We know he's a bad boy within within his first five minutes of screen time because he's got some sort of weird fucking mullet, uh, a leather jacket, a motorbike and he drinks and he smokes. He looks like he's trying to do Jason Patrick from Lost Boys. He is absolutely trying to do Jason <laughs> Patrick in the I'm assuming it's a wig. I hope it's a wig. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It's the eighties. But it looks like a wig. If it's not a wig, they've managed to make it look like a wig. Because it is dry as fuck. I absolutely it's a kind of a it is a mullet, but it's not really business up front. No. Um, <laughs> it's not really party either. It's awful. It really, it, no. it's very distracting. Very distracting. God bless him. Kevin Dillon, he luckily cut the hair off before yeah. Entourage and looks much better for it. Yeah, that uh, shitty earring was doing my head in as well. <laughs> oh, yeah, of course he had an earring. Yeah, it's, it's giving Lost Boys. Yeah. That night, uh, a meteorite crashes nearby in front of the homeless man uh, and he discovers, when he investigates, a massive slime mold-like substance that attaches itself to his hand. Scott, uh, another teenager... Oh, by the way, the teenagers kind of look a bit more like teenagers in this film, kind of. Yes. They look younger than Steve McQueen. They do. They Um, don't look like they have a mortgage. No, no. Uh, Scott is trying to buy some Trojan ribbed condoms (gasps) from the pharmacy when he bumps into Reverend Mika. 
and tells the pharmacist and the reverend that the condoms are for Paul. Reverend Mika. That's his name. He's trying to be like Grace Kelly. He is, yeah. And Meg's brother, Kevin, and his friend, Eddie, uh, two kids who also have awful haircuts, are going to see Garden Tool Massacre. And Kevin's mother is fuming. She will not let them watch that trash. Uh, but it's the 80s, so of course, it's Garden Tool Massacre. Garden Tool Massacre. Uh, Michael Kenworthy plays Kevin, uh, <laughs> Meg's brother. He fondly recalls on his on-screen sister, Shawnee Smith, being his first major crush in real life. And according to him... They hit it off pretty well. Whenever she went to hug him, he'd give her the hug and then a little kiss as an extra. And she would always blush. No, that's probably because she was uncomfortable, you fucking creep. That's so weird. That's so weird. <laughs> like, you're a child. Seriously? That's very strange. Fucking weirdo. Oh, the 80s. Um, <laughs> Paul shows up to take Meg out and is introduced to her father. And it's the pharmacist. And he just looks at him and says, Ripped. <laughs> <laughs> It still lets him go on a date. So. Well, I mean, you'll find out a little later on he's not too happy about it. No. Um, but he doesn't have to worry about it for much longer. Brian bumps into the homeless man who tries to attack him with the blob on his hand. He runs off and Meg and Paul almost run him over and they all take the homeless man to a hospital. Yeah. With the blob on his hand. With the blob on his hand. <laughs> no longer looks like barbecue sauce. It doesn't. It doesn't. It actually looks like proper blob. Yeah. Whatever, you know. After Brian leaves, Paul witnesses the lower... <laughs> Whatever proper blob looks like. Paul witnesses the lower half of the rescued man melting from exposure to the, bop, to the blob. And, oh my god, the practical effects in this... Just... Those alone blow the original out of the water. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it, it kind of... It's a weird one. Where the film doesn't necessarily warrant... You know these special effects because it's a gory film yeah really there's some really strong imagery in it and for what i was expecting which is a cheesy b-movie remake mm -hmm. i was thinking more akin to killer clowns from outer space yeah you know because it is a comedy in parts mm -hmm. as well but these moments they they catch you off guard but it works yeah. And the effects are fantastic. I mean, They're really well made. Technically, it shouldn't work because it takes the premise of the original, a mm. film that took itself too seriously and was laughable for it, takes it even more seriously, tries to turn it into a proper horror film, and it does work. It really does. Like, you kind of forget at times that you're watching a film about a fucking killer blob. Yeah, yeah. So I suppose, really, it's the first half of the film that has those comedy elements. Yeah. I suppose it lures you into a false mm -hmm. sense of security, and then it becomes an all-out horror yeah. sci-fi film. Yeah. Um, yeah, I suppose, really, it's doing maybe what The Fly did. Yeah. It may, took something yeah, cheesy yeah. and yeah. made it into... Yeah, The Fly the various, and The Thing. And The Thing, yeah. you know, The Thing's Absolutely. a very serious film. And in the original Blob, I mean, I know they didn't really show it, but the idea is that The Blob is feeding on people. Yeah. You know, that isn't going to be clean sort of no thing is it it's no. gonna be messy uh he informs dr jack nance about it and then calls sheriff herb for help but the blob drops on top of him meg arrives to see paul being consumed by the growing blob 
She tries fully freeing him and pulls his fucking arm off. Yes. Uh, according to an interview on the Australian Blu-ray, Chuck Russell deliberately stole a page from the Hitchcock playbook by killing the character that everyone would identify as the hero halfway into the film. This is less than halfway into the film, by the way. This is 27 minutes. 27 minutes, minutes in. 27 um, minutes in. And the idea was so everyone would go, well, if he could die, anyone could. Yeah. Uh, whilst Paul is meant as a Steve McQueen misdirect and Brian is offered as bad boy alternative, according to Chuck Russell. But Shorty Smith is ultimately the... Three, he said... Shorty Smith is ultimately the Steve McQueen character. Thank God as well. Like, really, thank God. Because it's one yeah. of the best parts of the film is having a woman take the lead and do all the Steve McQueen bits. Yeah. And more. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, Paul dying so early on was genuinely shocking. It really was. Yeah, it. it I, I assumed he was going to be the lead in... Man, or, he's or... the first. He's the first character you see. Yeah, in the film. Yeah, but I I assumed that maybe you know he'd die at the end. Mm, yeah, um, but really it was it should have been the Kevin Dillon's character. Yeah, who's the bad boy mm. that should make the sacrifice. Yeah, but no, completely goes yeah. against what we we uh, think. Uh, Meg is thrown against the wall and knocked unconscious. The blob fully dissolves Paul and oozes out of the hospital. Scott and his date are in the woods uh, when he's making her a drink in his car boot bar. Uh, for the second time this year, a film involving a blob and a slimy guy who tries to sexually assault someone. But the difference is, between this and Creepshow 2, this guy actually gets what he deserves. Like, in a in a better way because i mean let's face it the guy in creep show 2 you know he 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 did not get what he deserved properly. no he didn't he did, he deserved a proper on screen death yeah, yeah this is a weird one because the blobs obviously done something to his date yeah. and she's unconscious isn't she i mean it's already slimy enough that he has a boot uh, he has a, a bar in his car boot yeah like, um i wouldn't like that <laughs> But yeah, she's, she passes out, and when he comes back, he starts to undo her blouse. He attempts to grope her, but the fucking blob grabs him from under her top and murders him. Yeah. Uh, really great effect as well, the way it transforms her. And yeah, Scott got what he deserved. He did. He certainly did. After Brian and Meg uh, have unsatisfactory encounters with the Meg police, family guy. Uh, they meet at a diner where Meg tells Brian about the blob. Uh, she's like, it's a 1958 film starring Steve McQueen, uh, and there's a scene with a gay mechanic where, you know, I was just debating, are they gay, aren't they gay? I prefer the glove. Anyway. Okay. Um, Brian's disbelief is shattered when the diner's handyman, George, is violently poured into the sink's drain, headfirst, murdering him. Yeah. Another great death scene. Yeah. Another yeah. great kill. The increasingly large creature pursues them to the diner's walk-in freezer and retreats after entering the freezer. After consuming the diner's owner, Fran Hewitt. Played by Candy Clark. Candy Clark, a fantastic actress that pops up everywhere. Yeah. You know, you at least suspect her. Um, yeah, I think this was a bit of a sad death because she was handing out sandwiches like nobody's business. Yeah, she, she was the Norma Jennings. She was the Norma Jennings. The she was the nice... Diner lady who stayed open late to help the kids and all that. 
Yeah. Um, another. Th- this was a really great kill, though. Mm-hmm. I think, and maybe my favorite from the film. Yeah. Because obviously claustrophobic, mm-hmm. but also the way the blob sort of. It's, I don't know how to describe it. Like almost like pulls her apart, but within the blob, like mm-hmm. the wig goes flying yeah. and shit like yeah. that. But it it really looks like she's being devoured yeah. by the blob. Like really fantastic shot from above. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it works really really well. And Sheriff Herb Geller's murdered as well. Another character you expect to make it to the end. Yeah, yeah, and his is completely random. Yeah, he just. Um, she's on the phone. She's mm-hmm. like, oh, where's the sheriff? And the um, receptionist is like, oh, he's gone to the diner. And then you just see his face within the yeah. blob, like, splat against the um, phone booth. Yeah. And then you see... But but because, obviously, um, we barely knew the sheriff, mm-hmm. we need to see his badge. That's what yeah. <laughs> I did. I did. I was like, who's that? And then you saw the badge sort of follow it. Well, wasn't it him who she gave screen. free food to? And uh, said about going on a date with. Oh, yeah. She wanted a piece, didn't so, yeah. she? Yeah. So they, they both both died together. They did, yeah. Um, yeah. And then the blob re-enters the How sewers. romantic. <laughs> Meg and Brian return to the police station where the dispatcher tells them Deputy Briggs is near the Meteor landing site. They discover a military operation led by a scientist, Dr. Meadows, who orders the town and the two teens quarantined. Go on. Tell everyone about it. Dr. Meadows, where is he from? Where is Dr. Meadows from? Dr. Meadows from the Golden Girls. Oh, of course. Dr. Meadows, um, oh, I can't remember the actor's name, but he played Alvin in the episode of the Golden Girls where Sophia meets a new friend on the boardwalk and unfortunately he has dementia and he's taken away to a home. And it's a fantastic, fantastic episode of Golden Girls. And he is a fantastic actor. Yeah. He worked in, uh, in he acted in a few Spike Lee films as well. Mm-hmm. And he was the principal in School Days. Yeah. And, you know, I'm giving him all these compliments, but I can't remember his name. I did not write it down. So sorry to that man. Uh, whilst Brian escapes, Meg is taken to town where she learns her younger brother, Kevin, had snuck into the film theatre uh, with his friend Eddie, the blob enters Little the theatre. <laughs> the film in the film is fantastic, by the way. Um, with the guy with the hockey mask on uh, and the chainsaw, and the actress who's like, "But hockey season's out right now." <laughs> yeah, the blonde actress in this film. Again, I'm terrible. I should have written these names down. I do apologize. Um, but she was in a Karate Christmas. Oh. Story. <laughs> wow. Soon to be podcast film, The Karate Christmas Miracle. Spoiler. Is that one of your choices for this year, Gary be. Cruz? Wow. Uh, stay tuned. What about the sequel? You've got time. You've got time to check it out. <laughs> um, maybe don't, the sequel. Don't too. do it to yourself. Um, the blob enters the theatre and puts the original's iconic theatre scene to shame. Kills several staff and audience members in fucking horrific ways. Completely takes over the screen. Uh, Meg arrives to save the day as the audience are fleeing and rescues Eddie and Kevin. Yeah, that's what we want to see. Yeah. Meg arrives, 
she gets shit done and she will continue to get shit done for the rest of the film. It's true. Brian learns the blob is a biological warfare experiment created during the Cold War. It grew into a mixture of bacteria mutated from outer space radiation. Yeah, so this is interesting how the, the 30 years between the original and the remake, how the politics have changed. Yeah. And still the idea of the Cold War, but this looking at it from a different angle and this is a fuck up on the American side mm -hmm. in their biological warfare yeah. against the communists. So it's not about the communist agenda. It's about war. War is stupid. and People are stupid. Yes. Meadows decides to trap the blob in the sewers, even if that means allowing Meg, Kevin and Eddie to die. Brian manages to evade military personnel by driving his motorbike into the sewers when he is found. Um, cool dude. Yeah, cool. Cool dude. Very uh, Steve McQueen in a different film. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Meg and Kevin... Are you going to name the one? The Great Escape. There we go. Meg and Kevin flee from the blob in the sewers. Fucking Eddie is killed! Yeah. Chuck Chuck Russell was not kidding when he said no one is safe in this no. film. Even a kid. You can't kill a kid. In 1988. In a cheesy B-movie. What is with our themes this year? What? Like, next... Uh, on Monday's Halloween bonus episode, we're discussing a film where a kid is killed... And a guy goes around on a motorbike. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> and there's, there's some scenes in the sewers as well. Yeah. Unintentional themes all meant from us here at Horror Culture. Yeah. We should start watching these films before we announce them. We have. Oh, we have. <laughs> We've yeah. watched all of these films. <laughs> oh, bitch. We watched so many films. Um, I, I hate to break it to you, listeners. We watched so many films. Sometimes I do forget. I, I do forget the intricacies of. <laughs> What motorbikes are in what kind of water at any given time? Um, yeah, Eddie's killed. Kevin escapes by scaling a pipe to the surface, whilst Meg is saved by Brian. Not that she needed him to save her. No. Meadows allows a military truck to park on top of a manhole cover, trapping the teens. What an arsehole. Brian uses a rocket launcher from a soldier played by Bill Mosley, horror icon Bill Mosley, to blow up the truck. Freeing himself and Meg. Now, Bill Mosley is one of those actors that pops up in a lot of films. And I can never tell if it's a cameo or not. Yeah. Because if he popped up in a film for two minutes now, I would mm. class it as a cameo. Yeah. Because he's a cool horror actor. But in 1988... Was this just a paid job? I don't know, because this is post-Texas uh, Chainsaw Massacre 2. It is. It is. I feel like that's like the film that years. launched Bill Mosley. Yeah. I mean, I, I like Bill Mosley, but he's he's one of these weird ones that just pops up in films every so often. Yeah. When you least suspect it, and you're a bit like, now, is this a paid gig, mm. or is this a cameo? Uh-huh. Um... Yeah, I, f I don't know. I mean, I feel like Chuck Russell would have liked Texas Chainsaw Massacre too. I can, I can um, imagine. So I, I can imagine it's a cameo. Um, he confronts Meadows, not uh, not Bill Mosley, Brian, 
in front of the townsfolk in Briggs. Meadows attempts to convince everyone Brian is contaminated and must die. But the plan fails and Meadows tries to shoot Brian only for his own creation to kill him via oozing into his chemical suit and violently dragging him into the sewer. Ha! You deserve that. Uh, the military attempt to blow it up with grenades and other explosives, but this only succeeds in enraging the creature as it bursts from the sewers and feasts on the population. Reverend Mika, in a camp series of events, uh, proclaims the scene to be the prophesied end of the world, after which a, flame, <laughs> a failed flamethrower attack sets him on fire. <laughs> Didn't he also proclaim that all the big girls are beautiful? No, no, no. no. Um, <laughs> Just in case anyone doesn't know, because I don't know if it's a UK thing, there was a singer here in the UK um, called Mika, and he, for a couple of years, had quite a stranglehold on the charts and then kind of disappeared. Well, he, he has the Eurovision this year. He did, he He's did, back. actually. He did in Italy. Yeah, that's true. Um, but yeah, Mika with mild fans. Are we? Oh, I think it's all right. Oh, okay. Um, Meg saves. Did you not like Mika? Um, well, I don't know. I wasn't the biggest fan. I feel like I had respect for him because he was quite camp. He was quite camp. I think he's gay. Yeah. Um, do we think yeah, but gay doesn't always mean camp? No. His music was very. Yeah. Do we think the whole um? God said this was going to happen thing. Do we think that's an in-joke at the original director? I don't know, I suppose. <laughs> um, I don't really know Chuck Russell's politics or his beliefs. So it's it's hard to sort of tell where this kind of stuff comes <laughs> from. Um, but yeah, let's say it is. Bit of shade. Well, let's the, say it's a bit it's, of shade. It's produced by the same producer as the original. Yeah. Um, so maybe... Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, Meg saves uh, Reverend Mika with a fire extinguisher and also shoots the blob with it. When the creature backs off, she realises it cannot tolerate the cold. The survivors retreat to the town hall and hold the blob off with furniture barricades and fire extinguishers, but it's a losing battle. It engulfs half the building and devours Briggs. We know left soon. Huh? Brian goes to the town's garage and gets a snowmaker truck that has canisters of liquid nitrogen attached. As the blob is about to consume Meg and her family, Brian shoots snow at it. Angered, the blob turns its attention towards him and knocks the truck over in retaliation. Absolutely fucking fuming, fuming. this blob is. Absolutely fuming. Meg lures the blob away from Brian towards the canisters, which she has rigged with an explosive charge taken from a dying soldier. She snags her foot between two pieces of metal. Brian regains consciousness and runs over to free her. The blob is about to overrun them both when the charge goes off, blowing up the canisters and covering the blob in liquid nitrogen. Yes. A, a few years before Terminator 2. Oh, okay. So, is this the most influential film ever made? I mean... <laughs> I mean... That happens in Terminator but 2. But is it not it's... technically what happens in the original blob? It gets frozen. Yeah, but the way specifically... To, the way to kill... Specifically with liquid nitrogen, the exact same way. Yeah, I Terminator suppose so. 2. The creature is successfully flash-frozen into... Liquid nitrogen? Yeah. That doesn't happen in it. Terminator 2, yeah, it does. Liquid nitrogen? Yes. I thought it was... Um... 
like the metal liquid. Yeah, I think that's what it is. That's what it's called. No, liquid nitrogen is when it freezes. And... Yeah, it freezes in Terminator 2. We need to watch Terminator 2 again, I think. <laughs> Uh, any any reason? My to third Terminator. My third favorite film of all time. I, I, I know. Okay. I, I do apologize. It's not my third favorite film of all time. So the creature is successfully. I, you, I trust you. The creature is successfully flash frozen into a mass of crystallized pieces, just like in Terminator Two. Moss Moss Woodley has the remains stored in the town ice house. Later, at a tent meeting, church service in a field. Mika, disfigured by his burns and secretly driven insane, preaches a doomsday sermon and re reassembling the blob's attack. An elderly woman asks him when the day of judgment will arrive. Mika replies, soon, my sister, the Lord will give me a sign, revealing he has a still living piece of the blob trapped inside a glass jar. And then we cut to the credits with brand a brave new love by Alien playing. Yeah. <laughs> I love those random heavy metal songs at the end of horror. He films. did it twice, Chuck Russell. He did. He did. Uh Dokken was better. Yeah, obviously. But this is also a banger. This is also a banger. Um, yeah. When's Judgment Day come in? Um, in Terminator Two. In Terminator Two, Judgment <laughs> Day. Um, so annoying. In terms of the blob, it's not come in because so you didn't even make your budget back. Yeah, it is frustrating because that's such a great setup for a sequel. Um, imagine how camp it would be with Reverend Mika going about fucking insane. Uh, it it would have been a great opportunity. It really would have been. Um, but yeah, it didn't make its money back, and here we are, twenty twenty two. Didn't make hard Everyone loves the Blob, back. but there's no sequel. No, no sequel to the Blob. There is to the original Son of Blob. Is it Son of Blob? I thought it was just Return of the Blob. No, it's Return Son of Blob, of blob, a.k.a. Beware the Blob. Beware of the Blob. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, fantastic remake. Really one of the best. Um, it just does everything the way it should be done. Yeah, absolutely. It, you know, there's 30 years between the original and the remake. And the remake takes the advances of that 30 years and applies it to the story of the original. Didn't fall that far from the story of the original. No. But the bigger budget, the better effects, you know, the allowance for women to lead a film yes. yeah. <laughs> in those 30 years um, just benefits the remake so much. Yeah. The original was a film that absolutely needed remaking. Um but still in keeping with the cheesy charm mm -hmm. of the original. Yeah. It's a film about a massive fucking blob. Yes. Yeah. You know, it's it's gonna it, it's cheesy by nature. Um and I think the remake finds the perfect balance between yeah. that. Yeah, the original introduced the idea, the remake made the most of it. Yeah, it's it's not a perfect film, but it's it's better than the original. Yeah. It, it really benefits from time. So, get into the awards. First up, we have cinematography, scares, kills, creature effects, and soundtrack. 1958 uh, has some really great cinematography. It's, again, you know, for a film that has trash to piece worthy acting, it's really well made. Yeah, yeah, it, it is actually. Um, I don't know how innovative it was. It seemed that way. I mean, 
I haven't watched a load of monster films from that time period, really, but the, the effects seem to be, you know, yeah, the, at the forefront the blob of 1958. Does, yeah, the blob does not look terrible at no, all. It looks really good. No. I, mean, I wouldn't say it's scary or even intense. No, um, no. The kills are limited because of the budget, but the blob does look good. And of course, you have that fantastic theme song. There. Yeah, and I, I like, like I said earlier, I like that Americana feel yeah. to it. I love those kind of films around that period and how quintessentially Brit uh, British. That's an absolute lie. Uh, American, they feel. Yeah, I do. I do like that. But that's personal preference. Um, soundtrack, good soundtrack. Yeah, love. The five blobs, or whatever it's it called. Yeah, the theme one song. blob posing as five. One blob posing as five. Burt Bacharach, you know, love that song. Yeah. Uh, but the remake, it looks like a proper film. Like, the, the cinematography is really good. The the use of the colour pink whenever the creature's on screen mm -hmm. looks incredible. It And, you know, the ending with the snow and... It is such a really good looking film and the creature effects are fucking incredible. Even by today's standards, it yeah. has aged so well. The practical effects for the kills filled with gore, really gnarly and, you know, really just doubles everything that the original tried to do. It, and it's intense. It is intense. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And the idea that anyone could be killed at any time, um, I find the characters are more likeable, so it is scarier, it is more intense. The kills, like you said, you know, really well done. The effects, really well done. The cinematography, it feels like a film. The higher budget allows yeah. for that, you know, and the time, you know, 30 years difference we're looking at. Yeah, but it feels, it's kind of weird because it does give kind of, not massive budget energy, but it, it's a big budget energy yeah. to it, Yeah, you know, for what is a B-movie. So I'm assuming they thought it was going to do really well. I think so. I think, um, soundtrack, soundtrack's good. It I liked, good. I liked the song at the end, but it wa wasn't as good as the, the Five Blobs. Yeah, so uh, I think that goes without saying then. Everything goes to the remake, apart from the soundtrack, which goes to the Five Blobs. Yes, get off Five Blobs. Um, characters, we only have two for this episode, because there's really only two to compare. Yeah, yeah. So what I would say, what I appreciated with the remake is there are more characters that get development. Yes, yeah. And if we were a... Frequent listener to the podcast, you know I love a bit of character development in my horror films. Um, so I really appreciated that, that they got not a massive amount of development, you know. I, I couldn't write you a, an essay on their personalities, but more than the original. Mm -hmm. The original is just a bit of wooden acting. Yeah. And a, a few screams. Yeah, yeah, basically. Um... But let's, we know the answers, but let's compare them. Uh, <laughs> Steve Andrews, uh, Brian Flagg, 1958, Steve McQueen, uh, Steve, just in case you forgot who his name is, and 1988, Kevin Dillon as Brian. So, Would I... Do not make the comparison between Steve and Meg? 
I was as torn. Yeah. Torn whether to. I would say... But then I've got no one to go with Jane Martin. No. So And the result's going to be the same either way. <laughs> I mean, technically, but I, what I appreciated so much yeah. with the remake was the gender swap. And what I would have liked more from the remake is establishing um, the character of Meg before she became a badass. Mm -hmm. Because she's... A, um, a cheerleader and it, it's given Buffy the Vampire Slayer the yeah. house down boots but I would like to have seen maybe more of that side of her character before and then it would have been a really cool transition to action hero yeah you know giving I mean, um, Linda Hamilton energy yeah. you know I would have I would have liked that yeah I mean we can sort those around so um, Steve McQueen in 1958 and uh, Shawnee Smith in 1988 as Meg Penny. And also, um, that's just a really cool idea that we're comparing it, it Steve is. McQueen it to Shawnee Smith. Um, Shawnee Smith, not exactly known for being a great actress in remakes, Carnival of Souls, but <sighs> she does a fantastic job in this and really makes that badass character believable. Uh, even though we don't know much about her, you know, it's easy to get on board with her because she's so likeable and. Yeah, it's just refreshing to see a strong female lead. Exactly, exactly. You know, we we love to um, stan strong women mm -hmm. in horror. And, you know, she gets full stanage. She does? If that's a word. Steve McQueen, he, he really thinks he's doing something. Um, <laughs> he, he You can tell some of his monologues and stuff. He thinks he's giving a real serious performance. That's why it's so funny. It's not a good performance. It's far too serious, but it's hilarious to watch. I feel like he fully believed that the blob was <laughs> communism. Yeah. And that this was in a really important role. <laughs> and this was his first lead. Yeah. And, you know, props to him. He gave it a go. He, he did. He did it. It was funny. Because he did it. <laughs> yeah. But for all the wrong reasons. Yeah. And his character is very boring. He is. Like, he it's is. very, very boring. And kind of awkward yeah. as well. Um, not appreciated. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so Shawnee Smith is the winner out of those two. Yes. Uh, and then for our second and final character comparison, we have Jane Martin and Brian Flagg. Um, Jane Martin played by Annette Corsant. In 1958, and uh, Brian played by Kevin Dillon in 1988. Let's make one thing clear. Janie Girl has much better hair. She does. She does. <laughs> she definitely better. wins on that one. She wins um, on haircuts. <laughs> yeah. She is melodramatic to the extreme. If we had a Veronica Cartwright award for Biggest Wet Blanket, she would be the winner by a long shot. That needs to happen. That is such a good idea. The Veronica and we love Veronica Cartwright, but the Veronica Cartwright Wet Blanket Award. Thankfully, goes to Janie Girl. It does. Thankfully, it doesn't happen in enough films for us it's, to include in every true. episode. That is very true. Um, Kevin Dillon. He gives a good performance. I was just really distracted by his Jason Patrick cosplay. Um, yeah, and that hair. Yeah, he d he does alright. He's a rebel with a cause for a lot of the films. So. <laughs> yes. 
He is. There we are. Uh, I mean, he's still going to him, but I know we stand women on this podcast mostly, but it's still going to him because uh, at least he gives a good performance. Yeah, my problem is Jamie Girl let herself down. She did. She was she was strong-willed for the first like quarter of the film, and then she let she let the side down by the end. Yeah. Biggest queen. Uh, it's obviously Meg Penny from nineteen eighty eight. One hundred percent Meg Penny. Biggest gasp, I have Paul's death in 1988. I completely agree. Paul's death in 1988. Yeah. Chuck Russell, you surprised us. Yeah, yeah. Pulling the Janet Lee. Uh, best dialogue, I have... They're trying to make us look silly. Well, you're doing pretty well at doing that yourself, Sergeant. Sergeant Burton, Janie Girl in 1958. I completely agree. It's been a while since we've completely agreed on these. And for that's Camp, I have every single reaction by every single character when they see the blob in 1958. <laughs> <laughs> that is true, but I put Steve McQueen playing a teen. <laughs> well, yeah, that is. Camp. In a child's bedroom. High Camp. With his dad is five wait, years older than him. When he's in that single bed, <laughs> breaking out the window. <laughs> High Camp. Uh, our ratings for both, I give the original seven weekends away with the boys out of ten. <laughs> I, uh, oh, excuse me. And I give the remake nine Twin Peaks parallels out of ten. I give the original seven wrinkles on Steve McQueen's face <laughs> out of ten. And I give the remake eight thirsty mullets out of ten. So that means the winner is indeed The Blob 1988. Yeah, I would go on record now and say, watch both. Yeah, absolutely. But the remake is better. It is. Yeah. And if you'd like to watch both, uh, the 1958 original is on Criterion Blu-ray, video on demand, and YouTube in full. Didn't hear that from us. Uh, 1988, if you're in the UK, you're shit out of luck. Because it's not available here yet. No. We watched it on the Australian Blu-ray release. You can buy the import DVDs and Blu-rays from uh, Amazon. Not actually that expensive. I did check earlier. It's uh, quite in cheap. In America, it's Scream Factory. It is Scream Factory it? in America. Yeah. yeah. That's a really great release. Uh, but yeah, if you're anywhere else in the world, DVD and Blu-ray. And probably video on demand as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, if you enjoyed the original, I recommend checking out previous podcast film, The Horrors of Party Beach. Same energy. Same, yeah, definitely same energy. Uh, takes itself a little less seriously, yeah. and it's the better for it. Yeah, yeah. fantastic film, love it. Um, if you enjoyed the original, I recommend watching Godzilla. Yes, that's yeah. In terms of, you want to watch a good monster? Film. Yeah, monster <laughs> movies that are do take itself seriously. The Japanese did it best yes. with Godzilla. And if you enjoyed the remake, I recommend watching a mixture of the Thing, nineteen eighty. Nineteen eighty, wasn't it the Thing? 1982. Two. John Carpenter's The Thing. And Twin Peaks, of course. But the whole of Twin Peaks. I I was going to say, I recommend Twin Peaks in general. Um, If you enjoyed the remake, I would recommend watching The Stuff. Yes, that is a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Cheesy 80s, slightly body horror. Yeah, slight comedy. Yeah, love The Stuff. And now it's time for a very special edition of Best and Worst of the Month. Featuring our BFI London Film Festival highlights. As we explained uh, a few episodes back, we were going to do a full episode on our London Film Festival highlights. But because we were stuck with just the digital library, because we couldn't make it to London, sadly, for the screenings. uh, And a few screenings at Manchester's home as well, which were great. 
we only really had enough for uh, a tie-in with this episode. So here we go. We'll do those first before the best and worst. Because uh, one of them is the best and the worst. So, Sick of Myself is a film about narcissists being narcissists. And it's one of the best comedies released this year. Yeah, fantastic. It's about a couple that are constantly trying to one-up each other. Yeah. But don't tell each other that they're constantly trying to one-up each other. Lots of passive aggressiveness. And essentially, the woman ends up completely losing it. Yeah. By trying to get all this attention. Because her boyfriend is doing well as an artist mm -hmm. and she her career isn't really going great yeah so she kind of uses being ill to one up him and it gets out of hand mm -hmm. um really really dark yeah you know it's it's a black comedy very yeah. black comedy very dark um, but hilariously funny. Mm -hmm. Very modern. Yeah, it, Very modern. Yeah. It's, it's what we've said a few times this year. I, I know we've said it to each other. I'm sure we've said it on the podcast as well. If you're going to have a dark comedy, you've got to do it right. You've got to do it perfectly. Um, this film knows how to do it. To where it doesn't feel disrespectful. It doesn't feel mean-spirited. Because it's genuinely funny. It's yeah. genuinely funny, really well written, really well directed, really well acted. Um, it, it is a must watch and it's not exactly one of the most popular films to you. So keep an eye out for it because if you have a chance to watch, you, you have to watch it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, like Gary said, dark subject matters aren't inherently funny, mm -hmm. but they can be yeah. in the right hands. Yeah. And, you know, obviously not taking it too far, but... This handled it really well. It did. Um, yeah. I I would very much like more people to see. Yeah. Sick of myself. Very good. I have Utama, um, which is about an elderly couple in the Bolivian Highlands uh, who have been living the same life for many years. Um, and because of climate change and a, a drought that's coming to the area, they have to move or they'll be defeated by the environment. And it's a really fucking good film. I mean, the actors, I, I can't even say actors because these are real people. Mm. This is a real life uh, couple in the lead roles. But you wouldn't know. No. You wouldn't know that they weren't actors. And it's just really moving, um, you know, important messages in there as well. It's, it's a very important film, I'd say. Yeah. It looks beautiful the cinematography is incredible um and it's just really easy to get invested in you know regardless of what you think of the characters because the husband isn't exactly the nicest guy he's very stuck in his ways and yeah, it's a generational thing yeah. isn't it? and it's about the end of a kind of era yeah the end of a generation and how they need well, need to, or being forced to, should mm -hmm. I say, adapt to modern existence. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, yeah, I thought it was very... If you like Nomadland, yes. you'll love yeah. Utama. It's definitely a product of Nomadland. Yeah. Um, which is great because, I mean, these are the sort of stories that wouldn't you'd never hear of if it wasn't for someone like Nomadland. 
Yeah. Really, really good. Um, Triangle of Sadness really blew my mind how good this film was because it's a film that's two and a half hours long and you kind of get to the middle and it takes a turn and you, I found myself questioning how can they keep this going? Mm. How can they keep this going for another hour or so? And they fucking do it and it's hilarious. It is so funny. Again, dark comedy done right. And some fantastic characters that are so unlikable, but you just cannot get enough of them because of how great the performances are. And it does one thing that's that's easy to do. Laugh at rich people. Yeah. And it turns it into a two and a half hour epic and it's just fucking incredible. Yeah, it is. I, d- I don't really want to give too much away in no, terms of plot. No, no. But it's... That's yeah. one of the most disgusting sequences you'll see all year in any yeah. film. It was, it was fantastic. I thought it was brilliant. Brilliantly written, brilliantly acted. I love an ensemble cast and everyone in the cast was... Fantastic. Yeah, really, yeah. really good. Yeah, top tier. Yeah, out soon as well. Uh, the next two films we're about to mention are out now. Uh, the Banshees of Inner Sheeran, the new Martin McDonough film. Yes. Uh, starring Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson. We loved uh, In Bruges and we loved Free Billboards and this film is yet another masterpiece from him. And And... Bringing him back to the Brendan Gleeson and Colin Farrell duo as well. The three of them working together, it's it's genius. It's just perfect. Yeah, I've never... I wouldn't say never, but Colin Farrell's not really an actor I've gotten into. Like, I've, I've never really... Mm. I've got to watch all of Colin Farrell's films. But he was fantastic Yeah, in The Banshees of Inner Sheeran. In Bruges gave me the first kind of indication of how good an actor Colin Farrell could be. Mm. Um, and this just takes it all the way. Yeah. Like he, he really deserves to be uh, nominated for a lot of awards for this one. Yeah. Um, really engrossing. Funny at mm-hmm. times. Um, kind of edge of your seat suspenseful at times as well, I thought. Yeah. You know, and, you know... Men, eh? Men, yeah. Men. Allegory for war as well. Yeah. Um, and, and an allegory that, you know, you don't really have to look too much into because it's right in front of you the whole time, but it's not, it doesn't treat you like you're stupid. It's edi- it's, it's executed brilliantly. It's got layers. Yes. Layers. Yeah. Out now at the cinema, as is uh, our final recommendation, Decision to Leave, the latest film by Park Chan-wook, who directed the vengeance trilogy of course mr vengeance sympathy for miss sympathy for mr vengeance or mrs vengeance mr vengeance mrs vengeance and old boy basically yeah um three three masterpieces and we also saw jsa by him as well joint security area mm-hmm. another great film and this is uh, again another masterpiece i mean this is uh, a love letter to classic film noir and it doesn't... You know how a lot of neo-noirs have a very distinct feeling to them? This didn't feel specific... I mean, it is technically a neo-noir because it's released in 2022. But it felt like an old film noir. Mm. Do, you, do you get what I mean? Yeah, no, I, I fully... Yeah, I fully get it. Um, I just thought it was one of the most beautiful films yeah. I've watched yeah. in a very long time. 
yeah, wonderfully acted, incredibly engrossing. Yeah. And like you said, you know, uh, like an old school film noir. Yeah. Which we love, you know, we love a film noir in this house. Yeah, the the ending will have you thinking about it for, for quite some time. Yeah, and there is one scene mm. in the film that I just, it, it might be my favourite of the year. Mm. Or the one shot that I just thought was so yeah. perfect mm-hmm. and so beautiful. Yeah. Um, which is which is weird to say because it's you know quite a dark film really, yeah. film noir mm-hmm. says it in the in the name, but um just beautifully shot yeah really just um, cinematography born yeah. you know really wonderful, and for best and worst of the month, my best is Triangle of Sadness. Oh, this is difficult. Best new releases. Yeah, these is hard. Uh, mine is Triangle of Sadness. And worst of the month, I'm not even going to ask you if you agree, because if you don't, it'll be a travesty. <laughs> Megalomaniac. A film so fucking dreadful that we couldn't even sit through more than an hour of it. It was... Yeah, it was d- disgusting. It was disgusting. Now, um, this year, I'm really giving you all the sneak peeks on this episode. Um, our best of the year, uh, it was usually best and worst of the year, but it's going to be a uh, twenty best this year because, quite frankly, we're sick of the worst, including a lot of festival films. Um, so you know. It's, it's just, it's not fun to say, oh, yeah, this indie film was shit. We don't like putting down indie filmmakers. We like supporting indie filmmakers, even if we don't like some of the films that we've seen by indie filmmakers. I do not give a shit about what the director thinks of our opinions <laughs> on Megalomaniac. The director of this film is a questionable guy. To, that's being polite. Because this film... It feels like someone got let down by a woman um, when asking for a date, and then they just went on revenge by making the most brutal film for women uh, possible. Like, seriously, this is... I will tell you right now, I, as I said, go and support indie filmmakers, whether or not we like the films. Do not watch this piece of shit film. Do not support this. This is fucking awful. It is an hour, We watched an hour of it, and it is just women being brutally sexually assaulted, murdered, just treated like absolute shit but with no strong female lead there's nothing to counteract with it there wasn't it it just it felt relentless it was relentlessly bleak yeah it was it felt misogynistic it's so misogynistic and it was just like this isn't this isn't saying anything no there what is the reason what is the reason and it's something and it's a film that we're probably not going to watch blonde yeah, it's a criticism that has been levelled at Blonde. Mm. Is that it's relentless, and why is it so relentless? Why, why yeah. do we need yeah. this? You've made your point. We get it. Yeah. Now, let's continue with an actual film and a plot and some themes mm-hmm. and such. And it was just, it was unbearable. After an hour, we were like, I just, I can't handle it. And we've watched extreme films before. Yeah. But this, We've discussed them on this podcast. This wasn't even... I mean, in terms of, you know, what we've seen and discussed on the podcast, this isn't 
the worst, mm. it was just relentless. Yeah. It really was. Yeah. I mean, you know, what do you think of Extreme that we've discussed on this podcast, the likes of Last House on the Left and I Spit on Your Grave come to mind? Mm. Uh, but at least those films had strong female characters that were there to be empowering and fight back. This had nothing. Absolutely nothing. It didn't... It, it's not even strong female characters necessarily. Just likeable. Just, likeable just film, a yeah, female yeah. character. Yeah. Just something about yeah. them. Something that we can cling on to yeah. yeah not cling on to but something that we can have to identify who these women are yeah because it had none of that yeah it they were just none women of it they were just women and the one character that had that something to cling on to she was being just as fucking abusive but yeah but even she didn't have anything about her no she was just abused herself she was just being abusive it was only what was happening to her, yeah. and then what she was doing. It, it, yeah, no, it was yeah. it was shit. Let's uh, wasting <laughs> precious time discussing yeah. it. If it you want to really support uh, an indie film, uh, if you want to support indie films that have been made this year, there's plenty out there. So many great ones out there, and even ones that we didn't like that you might enjoy instead. Go and watch all of those. Just fucking stay away from this. Fucking yeah, yeah, shitty let's, film. Let's have some more positive energy yeah let's go to the honourable mentions which honorable I've, mentions. I've had to shorten there are fucking I've had to loads of them I'm going to give you a few this isn't all of them this isn't all of my honourable mentions uh, we usually give it out a little later but if you want to see our full list of what we watched in October I am the like gals 921 letterboxed and Chris is Chris Barker 823 thank you go and go and have a look uh, but to mention some of them uh, Piggy which was at Grimfest, the same place I watched Megalomaniac. Yeah. Uh, Piggy, women continue to make the best horror this year. It was fantastic. Um, bully revenge film, but with complexities added in to make you question certain things. It's just really good. Yeah, no, completely agree. Really well made. Really well structured. Um, interesting female characters. Yeah. yeah. Who aren't necessarily good or bad. Yeah. Uh, interesting female characters, much like Candyland. Yes. Another honourable mention. Perfect throwback to Grindhouse, uh, cinema of the 70s. Done in a 2022 way that really works. Uh, Moonage Daydream, uh, which is the best documentary I've seen all year. Completely mind-blowing on a big screen. Yeah, yeah, it deserves the big screen. Really well made. The Seventh Curse, uh, which is the Asian 80s Indiana Jones. I mean, Indiana Jones is the 80s anyway, but you know what I mean. Batshit balls to the wall. Yeah. Entertaining. Over the top. So entertaining. Yeah. Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris, a film I certainly didn't expect to be included on here. Because um, I... I wasn't the biggest fan of the original. But Yeah, if you know anyone who's got a cold heart, Show the <laughs> Mrs. Harris goes to Paris. Just put a screening on for the director of Megalomaniac. <laughs> I don't want to hear that name ever again. Thank Werewolf you. by Night, Marvel does Universal Monsters, and it's fucking great. I read the comics myself, and this was an absolute joy to watch because of that. It does it so perfectly. Nice to see some more horror from Marvel. Yeah, it was good. In Fabric. 
A film about a killer dress that managed to be sophisticated and thought-provoking. Yeah, yeah, loved in fabric. Just the right side of camp as well. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed it. Possession um, quickly became one of my favourite films because it's the exact example of the sort of films I love. Weird and over the top and just fucking crazy in every way. Yeah, but also we've kind of a weird Kramer versus Kramer narrative yeah. as well. Yeah, the best film you'll ever see about the walls. Uh, Santa Sangre, the same can be said about that. Weird, fucking weird, and just weird. Yes. Uh, Jodorowsky's Giallo, and it's fucking insane. Very strange. Very strange film. Hour of the Wolf, another weird film. We've watched a lot of uh, surreal films this month, which has been great. Um, which is some great Bergman, Hour of the Wolf. My favourite Bergman film I've seen so far, I'd say. Yeah, yeah. Um, maybe not my favourite, but yeah, no, five star. Wonderful. Fantastic. Ginger Snaps. You watched for the first time? I did. You watched for the first time as well? Technically, no, I, I kind of watched it when I was younger. It's one of those films where I watched that, but I don't remember it. Often. The best post-screen film, in my opinion. Images. Bruh, yeah. Bruh? Robert, <laughs> Robert Altman is solidified as my favourite director of all time. I thought Images was fucking yeah. fantastic. A film made about a schizophrenic character in the 70s that somehow still holds up to this day. Yeah, stays Miracle. respectful. And Susanna York, I wish she had a... And she had a good career. Yeah. But I wish she had a bigger career because I thought she was... Phenomenal in role. Human Lanterns. Yes, the title is exactly how it sounds. Yeah. In the film. Uh, the Psychic, which is actually one of my favourite uh, Fulci's films. I was drawn in from start to finish, and it is a slow burn. For Fulci, it's very subtle and a slow burn, but oh my god, is it good. Yeah, and very camp, camp. campus tits. Very camp. Let's be fair here, campus tits. And a final one for me that you can't comment on yet. I can't. I am really even more surprised than Mrs. Harris goes to Paris. I can't believe I'm sitting here telling you this right now. That this is one of my honourable mentions for best of October. Fucking Terrifier two. Like I, I really honestly can't believe I'm saying this. The first film I hated, absolutely hated, hated, hated it. Again, brutalizing women, no plot, absolute throwaway trash. This sequel gives us a strong female character in the lead, Miracle, actually gives us a plot, Miracle, and it creates the things that the first film did well, which are practical effects and kills. It, it brings them to the sequel, but ramps them up to fucking 50, 100, whatever number you want to use. <laughs> um, it's been getting a lot of hype, and, and yeah, believe the hype. It is a fantastic throwback to 80s slasher films. It feels like you're watching an 80s slasher film. Yeah. So that, that's my singular. Um, there is, yeah, I, I've got nothing to say on that one. Um, a couple of films that were much better than I had anticipated. Smile. Yeah, yeah. And, I forgot that was this month. And uh, Jennifer Lopez classic, The Cell. Oh my God, Much, yes. much better yeah. than it had any right to be. Absolutely. Um. Is it a cult classic? Uh, yes, I would say so. Is there an audience out there who yeah. live in the cell? Because I thought it was much better than it had any right to be. It's true. Also, 
props to Hocus Pocus 2. Yes, Hocus Pocus 2 was great. Because, you know, it did it. it I think it did what it needed to it do. Did. It, did. it did it fine. If you like the original, you'll if like If you like that. the original, you'll love Hocus Pocus 2. It's as simple as that. You know. uh, again, go on to our letterbox for more. We have watched so many films this month uh, and so many great films. Like yeah, and, and much more to come. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's been nice to watch and dish out some five stars. Yes. Lots of five yes. stars. So that is this month's original... Contra- yeah, because contrary to the podcast, we <laughs> do like enjoying films. Yes, <laughs> you know, it doesn't always make the most entertaining podcast episodes, <laughs> but you know we do want to enjoy films. Yes. Uh, that is this month's original versus remake episode for next month's original versus remake as a nasty November special. We're giving you a first. Uh, we're giving you an original versus remake where both films are made by the same person. Oh. We're discussing the ghastly ones, trash to piece gem. The Ghastly Ones, which deserves its own episode. But we'll do it as this. Uh, and uh, Legacy of Blood, both ba- made by uh, Andy Milligan. Yes, that'll be interesting. interesting. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever known a um, director to... Alfred Hitchcock. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever known any of us to no. remake their own films? Is there any oh. you're thinking of? No, I'm not. No. That's why I asked the question. Yes, so that'll be next month's Original versus Remake. Uh, until then, let us know if you're a fan of the blog, what you've been watching this month, anything you want to talk to us about. We're Horror Culture Show on Facebook and Instagram. I'm Gazmo205 on Instagram and GazCruise92 on Twitter. I'm ChrisBarker823 on Instagram and Letterboxd. Yeah, we know gave that away already. Oh, well, what did you just say? Instagram and Twitter. Oh. <laughs> but now you know, there's no excuse now. You have to go and have a look. Um, rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes like a follow on else. Give us a rating and a follow on Spotify if you're feeling generous for our many episodes that we've gave you this month in October. Yeah. Buy our merch. If, if you enjoy listening to our voices <laughs> constantly, go on rebelable.com and buy our merch. Just search Horror Culture and listen to the Blob songs on our Spotify playlist. Now oh, that's yes. what I call Horror Culture Yes. Links all available in our link tree in our social media bios. Oh, wow. So, just in case you uh, haven't had enough of us already, it's double episode week again next week. Fucking hell. Monday. A fucking nightmare. On Halloween, <gasps> we will be bringing you a film with a guy on a motorbike in the sewers. <laughs> again. Um, we will be talking about the divisive Halloween ends and giving our two cents on it. And for all those podcasts that have slagged it off, we're going to give you something slightly different in, in case that's what you want to hear. If that's not what you want to hear, then ignore I just said that. Still listen. Uh, Friday. We're just going to give our opinion on a film. Everyone can have different opinions. It's fine. Just listen. Um, <laughs> listen to why we like it. You know. Uh, oh, fuck. We gave it away. We gave it away. Gave the twist away that we're going to like. Um, well, we've seen it and we have a lot to say. Some good, some bad. Friday. Why don't we just include it now? No, no, no. Friday, uh, we will be kicking off Nasty November with the Evil Dead, joined by special guest Tipsy Flicks. Yes. It's been a while since we had a special guest. Yes. Love a special guest on the podcast episode. Plenty and this is a great film, and he's a big fan of Evil Dead, so he has lots of wonderful things to say. Yeah. 
So, we'll be back, same time, same place, on Monday. See ya. See ya.